Hey, good morning, Emmanuel. Welcome to worship today on this uh, Memorial Day weekend. Uh, I hope that uh, you're having both hamburgers and hot dogs, because I will be, and that sounds like fun. Hey, it's great to have the kids with us today, and there's a special reason that I'm excited about this, because we're in this series of messages from Mother's Day to Father's Day called Family Matters. And so each week, we're looking at different um, expressions of what God's intent is for the family. And so two weeks ago, I talked about change your words, change your family, the importance of words. Last week, Holly and I were up on the platform, and we were being interviewed by Tom Skinner, and um, I've already been told that was hilarious, and many of you went on YouTube and re-watched it over and over and over again which I thought was really funny. Um, but we talked about marriage last week. And so I want to encourage you to just lean into your own marriage relationship. This morning I want to talk to you about the five gifts that every child needs. And I'm excited about the kids being in here today because they need to hear the five gifts that they should receive from the adults in their life. Now, some of you are probably thinking, I don't have any kids anymore in the home, and this message isn't for me. No, I think it is for you, because most of us have nieces and nephews, most of us have kids in the neighborhood, most of us have some contact with children, even though your children may be out of the home. Some of you are probably thinking, Five gifts to give my children? Haven't I given them enough? When are they going to give me a gift? Hang in there. This message is also for teens and young adults who maybe in the next few years are going to get married. Sometimes you just need to take a message and tuck it away and pull it back out in three or four years. And that's what I'm praying that God will do for you. Five needs or five gifts that every child needs. Now, here's what's interesting. These are the five gifts that God wants to give you as his child. So I don't want you to check out just because your kids are grown and gone or you may or may not have children in your life. What I want you to zone in on is, yes, the kids in your life need to receive these gifts from you, but guess what? These are the gifts that God is trying to give you. So here's what I'm thinking. Each one of these gifts... I'm going to spend just a little bit of time on, and I want you to, zero to five, write a number. Zero means, I'm not doing too great on this. Five means, no, I think I'm doing really well. So, when it gets to each of these gifts, write a zero to five on how you're doing with giving these gifts to the children in your life. Zero to five. By the way, let me say this parenthetically. This is not a guilt sermon. You know what guilt sermons are, right? You walk away and you're like, man, I feel worse than when I came in. I'm a terrible parent. No, that's not where I'm going with this. This is about moving the needle up. It's about moving from a one or a two to a four or to a five, okay? Because the children in your life need to receive these gifts from you. So no guilt, 
what do you need to do to move the needle up? But, there's a second zero to five that I want you to consider. And that is, how am I receiving these gifts from my Heavenly Father? Zero to five. Does that make sense to you? Okay, let's pray, then I'll begin. Our Heavenly Father, in these next few moments, would you speak with great clarity? about what you have for us to receive these gifts and how we can pass them on to the children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, neighborhood kids that you've placed within our own sphere of influence. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just jump right in. Gift number one. Affirming your child's uniqueness. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way that he or she should go, and when he or she is old, they will not depart from it. Look at the phrase, in the way he or she should go. What does that mean? It means simply this, God loves variety. God loves diversity. God could have made a human factory of which we all look alike. We have the same likes. We have the same smells. We have the same passions. We just all look at things the same. But God says, no, that'd be pretty boring. I like diversity. Your job is to study the children in your life and figure out their natural, unique bent. Because every child has one. And to go with their bent, rather than go with your agenda. Some parents make the mistake of trying to live out their dreams through their children. Let's say you wanted to be a great sports figure, and so you start early. You know, I didn't make it, I didn't do well in sports, but I'm going to get my kid, and and you just try to get him into sports. Now, there's nothing wrong with getting your kids into sports, right? But if your kid is an academic, or your kid loves music, and their natural bent is to go in that direction, but your desire is for you to go in another direction, somewhere along the way, you're going to set your kid up for failure because their bent is to go toward that way and you're trying to work against God and His own unique gifting that He's given them and you're trying to get them to go that way when they're really supposed to go that way. Does that make sense to you? It's just, it's just that simple. Now there's two things that usually squash children's unique bent. Comparing and conforming. Have you ever heard somebody say to their child, man, I wish you were more like Johnny. Johnny pays attention. Susan doesn't do that. Why can't you be more like Susan? It's a killer, right? 
When you begin to compare your child to somebody else, you're always setting them up. Listen, when you begin to compare yourself with other people, here's what happens. You always compare yourself to the best of the other person, and then you compare yourself to three or four other people, and you're always defeated because you cannot be the best of three or four other people. You just can't. The second thing that squashes child's uniqueness is conforming. Now, conforming is simply another word for people-pleasing. Basically, what we're trying to do is we're trying to squeeze our child into a box of social acceptability. I understand. I'm not saying, you know, your kid shouldn't conform in in some way, right? But the reality is many of us are more into people-pleasing and we want our kids to fit a certain image. We want everybody in the church to think that our kids are the best-behaved kids. We want everybody in school to think our kids are the best academics. And so what we do is we set them up for a sense of failure because we have our own people-pleasing needs that we're actually putting in front of our children's uniqueness. Okay, let's pause. Zero to five. How are you affirming your child's or grandchildren or nieces or nephews or neighborhood kids' unique bent? Zero to five. Here's the other, zero to five. You ready? Are you living in your own unique shape? Or are you trying to live somebody else's life? For many years, and we continue to do it, we go through a class in our church that you discover your unique shape, S-H-A-P-E. Spiritual gifts, heart, ability, personality, and experiences. And so God has given you a unique set of spiritual gifts, a unique set of heart passions, a unique set of abilities. God has given you a unique temperament, a personality, and God has given you different experiences. Nobody has exactly the same experiences that you have. And so all of those things, S-H-A-P-E, creates in you a unique person that presents itself to the world. Are you living in God's uniqueness or are you just trying to be a people pleaser, not rock the boat and go with the flow? Zero to five. Two. The second gift that you can give any child is to trust them with increasing responsibility. Listen to Luke chapter 16, verses 10 through 12. If you are faithful in the little things, you'll be faithful in the large things. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be, dishon- you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worthy, uh, worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with the things of your own? Kids... Love being helpful. This past Christmas when um, we actually celebrate two Christmases in our family, two different sides of the family, and so Holly and I drove over to our oldest daughter's um, house and her family, Steve and Bethany, we have three grandchildren, Josiah, Lily, and Noah on that side. And so we drove over there to celebrate Christmas, and we drove our SUV because we had all these gifts, and we had all these 
food items that we were bringing over, and one of the big things we had was a cooler. And when we get there, invariably, all three of the grandkids come running out, and they're not here to say, hey, Papa! They're here to say, what can we bring in? Because they love to help. It makes them feel big. And so I open up the back of the SUV, and Josiah gets his eye on this cooler. Well, I know what's in the cooler, because I carried it out. It's pretty heavy. And he's got it in his mind that he's carrying the whole cooler. And I'm like, Mimi ain't going to be happy if you drop this thing. Right? And so the compromise was, is he took one handle, and I took the other handle, and we walked in the cooler together. Usually a fight breaks out among the three of the kids, you know, Pop-Pop said I can carry the grape juice. You, you know, and, I mean, it's just kind of crazy, right? But here's the, th- here's the deal. Kids love to do things and to be helpful. They like owning a certain amount of responsibility. Now, sometimes things get done quicker if the kids aren't involved. But that's not the point. The point is not being quicker. The point is building responsibility. The goal isn't getting the stuff in the house. It's training and responsibility. Now, interestingly, in these verses, Jesus says that there's three ways to build trust in children. By the way, the same three ways to build trust in us, but here they are. Trust with small things. When kids are small, give them small things to do around the house, like emptying their trash can out of the bedroom. And as they get a little bit older, make sure they know how to make their bed every single day. Give them little chores around the house, like cleaning their rooms or vacuuming in the living room. Work small, go bigger. Second, trust them with possessions and money. When our girls were small, we um, used to take them clothes shopping, you know, like end of August. You go clothes shopping for the school year. And we'd always purchase, you know, I, I can't remember what the amount of money was but per child, but we'd always purchase their, we had X amount of outfits and X amount of shoes, those kinds of things. Guess what? When our girls got to be teenagers, we handed them hard, cold cash. And we said to them, okay, your turn to go shopping. We go with you, but when the cash is over, it's over. So if you want to buy those $115 jeans that are ripped, you go at it, girl. But we only gave you, I don't, I don't, I'm making up a number, right? We only gave you $300 or $400 or $500, I don't remember. But whatever that money is, boom, that's it. It was amazing the kind of shoppers that our girls became once they had cash in their hand and they knew that there was a limit. You trust them with possessions and money and try to help them gain greater responsibility. Larry Burkett was a financial expert a number of years ago. Larry used to say this, give your given when you're living so you're knowing where it's going. You know, if you wait until you die to give your inheritance to your kids, how do you know that they'll spend it well? Wouldn't it be wiser to give them chunks of it along the way, to watch how they handle $10,000? Are they going to blow it, or are they going to put it on down payment on a house? Give your given while you're living so you're knowing where it's going. Three, trust them with things that don't belong to them. Before you buy them an instrument, rent an instrument. See how they do with that. Before they get a car, 
how do they treat your car? If it always is coming back on empty, you've got to have a conversation. If there's little dinks and scratches and little dents, you've got to have a conversation. Because before you go out and get them a car, or before they go out and spend the money on the car, you need to kind of like figure out, oh, how, what are they doing with the possessions that aren't theirs to begin with? Okay? So, question. Zero to five. How well are you at giving the children in your life increasing responsibility to build up trust and responsibility? How well? Zero to five. Listen, how well are you doing with the things that God has already given you? Zero to five. Are you faithful in the small things? Why would God give you more if you keep screwing up the little he's already given you? Can I say screw up in church? That's probably not a great word. We'll we'll take that off of the... You know, I know people who are very discontent in their jobs because they think they can handle more. And so they don't take the job that they have too seriously, kind of sloppy. Why would God give you greater responsibility if you're not appreciative and you're not doing well in the job that you already have? It's the principle of the talents. You're faithful in the little things, God gives you more. Three, correct children without condemning them. I got excited about this one. That's why I gave three verses. For the Lord corrects those he loves just as the father corrects a child in whom he delights. Proverbs 3.12. A refusal to correct is a refusal to love. Love your children by disciplining them. Before I get to this third verse... A story just popped into my head. I'll come back to the third verse. I once knew this lady, a member of our congregation years ago, not in this congregation, one that I was pastoring in another church. And she was in her 70s at the time that I knew her. And we got to talking about disciplining children. And she said to me, I remember as a 7 or 8 year old little girl wondering why my mom let me do anything I wanted to do. And I remember thinking, doesn't mommy love me enough to stop me? That'll preach. Ephesians 6, 4. And now a word to you parents. Don't keep on scolding and nagging your children, making them angry and resentful. Rather, bring them up with the loving discipline the Lord himself approves, with suggestions and godly advice. Woodrow Wilson once said, when correcting a child, the goal is to apply light, not heat. Because we are all imperfect, we all need correction. All of us. We all need correction. We all need loving discipline. You're not perfect, I'm not perfect. And sometimes God steps in and goes, "Um, I'm going to give you a course correction. But discipline and correction are acts of love. Remember the story I just told you? How come mommy doesn't love me? How come mommy lets me do whatever I want to do? I know I'm being bad. That's that's a seven or eight or nine year old thinking these things. 
It may surprise you, but if you are a sincere follower of Jesus Christ, God never punishes you. He only corrects you. I think a lot of us grew up under this understanding that discipline was punishment. That's a huge mistake. Because discipline is never punishment for your children. Discipline is always correction done in love. Why is it so quiet? So what does loving correction, what does loving discipline look like? A couple thoughts. One is never correct out of anger. Nothing good ever comes out of anger. You've got to get yourself under control before you go berserk on your kids. Because nothing good has ever come out of going berserk on your kids. Anger is a temporary motivator to get somebody to stop in the moment. But it always breeds pain and hurt and anger later. Here's one. Choose your words wisely. This gets back to the first sermon. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, only what acceptable in building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So we have to choose our words wisely because you never know what your kids are going to remember in their adult years. We now have two adult daughters, and it's very humbling when our adult daughters have said, hey, you remember when I was seven years old and you said this? I said a lot of things when I was seven years old. You know, when you were seven years old. I don't get to control what my kids remember. And it's amazing how kids remember certain phrases or words that were one-offs. They weren't even part of the context of the conversation. So when our kids... This is way too much information. So when our kids you know, graduated they, college, they got on their own, honestly, this is, this is God's honest truth. Honest. No, no pastoral exaggeration. I sat down with both of them and said, look, I may be a pastor, I may love Jesus with all my heart, but I know I've messed up many, many times. I didn't mean to mess up. It's not like I woke up every day and said, I'm going to make your life miserable. But here's the deal. You have every right at any stage of your life in adulthood, now that you're off on your own, you have every right to come back to me and say, hey, you hurt my feelings. Or, hey, When you said that, it wounded me. And I'll always take a posture of humility. And I won't justify it. I won't say, well, you know, back then it was... I won't do any of that. I'll just sit and I'll listen. And then I'll offer you a sincere apology. And one of our daughters said, yes, but will you pay for my therapy? (laughs) 
three, I remember, I'm talking about what loving correction and loving discipline looks like. Choose your words wisely. Never correct out of anger. Here's a big one, and this could be a whole message on its own. Allow the consequences of their actions to impact them. Galatians 6-7 says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Just my general observation, it was a tendency in my own parenting thing, but, but just an observation that I'm making. I'm watching more parents bail their kids out of the consequences of their own actions. I think that's a mistake. When, when your kid does something wrong or bad, they should own the consequences. Because how else are they going to learn if you keep bailing them out? Right? So if they get a ticket because they were driving too fast, they, they should pay for the ticket. I get that we're living in an anti-authority age, and I'm not going to get on a hobby horse because I actually really don't think I have a hobby horse in this area. But I'm amazed at the amount of parents that will go against the authority and take the side of their children blindly. I think that's a mistake. Your kid gets disciplined in school, it's the teacher's fault. We used to talk, this is some years ago, you know, youth pastors, you know, we're, we're talking. And one of the youth pastor's concerns were when a student gets pulled over for driving too fast, the student is always like, you, you don't understand, I'm going to be late to school, you can't give me a ticket, I, you don't understand. And it's this looping conversation. And the policeman's like, but you were speeding. Well, it doesn't matter, because I was going to be late to school. How does that work? you're still going to get a ticket. And then somehow it's the officer's fault for giving you the ticket. Do you see what I'm saying? One of the great acts of love is allowing your children to own the consequences of their own behavior. Okay, number four, love unconditionally. You knew this one was coming, right? Love unconditionally. Let's unpack this. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I, I basically went through verses 1 through 7 and just kind of snipped certain portions of it. It's in the message version. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't fly off the handle. Remember, choose your words wisely. Never discipline in anger. Love doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Love puts up with anything, trusts God always, love always looks for the best, love never looks back, love keeps going to the end, love never dies. Now, the kind of love that's being talked about here is not kumbaya, mushy love. 
This is not. It is sturdy love. It's resilient love. It's persistent love. Kids need to know that they are loved when their performance has been great and when their performance has not been great. Kids need to know that they are loved whether they have succeeded at something or whether they have failed at something. Basically, kids need to know that you're their safe person. They need to feel unconditionally loved. They need a deep sense of peace and settledness within their own spirit that says, I'm taken, I'm valued, I'm affirmed for who I am, and I'm accepted. Zero to five. How good, are, how good are you at communicating unconditional love? Because there's nothing like raising kids to bring out your own issues. Because kids will drive you to your breaking point. That's why childhood begins with labor. <laughs> and it only gets harder from there. You with me? So kids need to know that they are unconditionally loved even though they know they're acting out. But it's a sturdy kind of love. It's not a mushy, no consequences kind of love. It's a resilient kind of love. One of the things that um, we did when, when our kids were growing up is we tried to give them this whole trust and increasing responsibility, and we thought, and it wasn't perfect, right? So you heard Holly and I sitting up here last week, if you were here, and we, we, didn't, we weren't perfect, right, in raising kids. But what we tried to do was to match our kids' age with their responsibility level. And when they got to a point where they started acting below their age, we would take back some of our trust and some of our, their responsibility, right? We'd say to one of our girls who had senioritis when she was in 10th grade, <laughs> right? We'd say to one of our girls, hey, we want to trust you because you're 16, 17, but the reality is you're really acting more like you were when you were 12 or 13, so you let us know when you want to start acting like you're 16 or 17 again because we're ready to hand you back that responsibility. But for right now, because you're acting like you're 12 or 13, we're going to pull back a little bit. You let me know, and we'll give it back. You always put it back in their court. And they'd complain, and they'd tell us how we're unfair parents, but you know, that worked. A lot of things we did didn't work, but that one worked. Zero to five, how are you doing in expressing unconditional love? Hey, zero to five, let's flip it around. How are you at receiving God's unconditional love? How are you at resting in the head knowledge and the heart knowledge that you are received and loved and there's not a single thing you can do 
to have God love you more or love you less. Here's one. For those of you who are raised in kind of conservative environments, do you feel loved by God whether you conform to a certain standard or not? You know, I was raised in an environment where it was wrong to wear jewelry, where it was wrong for women to wear makeup. That's where I came out of. And so people obeyed the rules because that's what was taught and that's what they thought God wanted, but they never really did it because they wanted to. They did it because, you know, it was the expected thing to do. Now, flip it around. Do you press into God? Are you obedient to the Lord? Do you listen to the Holy Spirit and obey the Holy Spirit because you have to or because you want to? That's a great question because that comes back to the motivation of your heart. Do you not do certain things because you have to and the Bible says not to? Or do you, every do not in the Bible, is it followed by, because I know the Lord loves me? Zero to five. Okay, last. Every child needs the gift of Jesus. Mark eight thirty six. For what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know, there are lots of gifts that you can give your children and there's lots of ways that you can prepare your children to be successful, but only one thing in life really matters and that's the eternal thing and that is, do your kids know Jesus? Do you know the greatest gift, the greatest responsibility, can I say it like that? The greatest responsibility that you have as parents, the greatest responsibility that I have as a grandparent, the greatest responsibility I have as an uncle is to share Jesus with the kids in my life. So how do you share Jesus with your kids? You model it first. Have you discovered that kids do not do what they're told they do what they see. You can say anything you want, but kids will never listen to you. They'll only really follow what they see modeled. You know what I saw modeled in the home? I saw my dad. Now, both of my parents came from the military, and so we were early risers in our house. And so my dad would be up at 5, 5.30 every morning. Basically, so was my mom. And I remember getting up to go to the bathroom because I wouldn't get up until the last minute. Right? School began at 7.35. At 7.05, I got up. I remember getting up and running to the bathroom because I had another hour, hour and a half to sleep. And I'd see the light on in the living room. And I'd peek around the corner. And there's my dad kneeling with an open Bible. And I could hear and he was whispering his prayers. When my dad died, I got a lot of his books. Imagine the joy of my discovery when I got a lot of his promises in the Bible books. He had three. And I'd look through all these promises, and he'd say, for Mark, for Kathy, 
than when we were married for Mark and Holly, for Bethany and Emily. Kids do not do what they're told, oh, maybe in the short term, but they live according to what they see. And the greatest gift that you can give, listen, this isn't about guilt, right? But the greatest gift that you can give your kids is modeling it. Let them see you have your devotions. Let them see you write down things in your prayer list. Let them see you on Memorial Day when the kids are not in kids' worship. Let them see you worshiping. It's just as simple. It's not rocket science. It's just model it. And when they get older, they'll see the wisdom. The second thing you can do to share Jesus with your children is to simply talk about Jesus. Just talk about Jesus. Hey, you know, I was praying the other day. Hey, you know, this is what Jesus has been teaching me. Wow, the Spirit really convicted me. When you start talking about that, like everyday language, your kids pick it up. You don't need to sit down. I'm not saying you shouldn't, but you don't need to sit down and, now, are you saved? Have you said, and, and, and you go through this little pamphlet. Okay, if you want to do that, go ahead. But the reality is, if you just talk about Jesus in your normal everyday life, and if you live it, oh, that's power. Those of you who are Catholic friends, St. Francis of Assisi, preach the gospel at all times, and if you need to, use words. Many of you have probably never heard of the name Jonathan Edwards. He was a genius, an educator, a pastor who lived in the early 1700s. He was a leader of the first great awakening here in America. He was also one of the founders of Yale. Edwards was a deeply devoted Christ follower, had a very strong sense of responsibility as a pastor and as a father. He and his wife Sarah had 11 kids. He was always there for his kids, no matter how busy he was. There was another guy that lived about the same time period. His name was Max Jukes. Jukes was an alcoholic, was not a great dad, fathered several children, but wasn't really in their life at all. Somebody did a study of both family systems that went out five generations. By the way, there's a lot of sociological reports that discover that whatever generational sin weaves its way through five generations before it weaves its way out. That's sobering. Excuse the pun. So somebody did a study of both generational systems five generations out. Here's what they discovered. Jonathan Edwards' descendants produced a United States vice president, three United States senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 65 professors, 80 public official holders, 100 lawyers, 62 physicians, 76 army and naval officers, 100 pastors or missionaries or theology professors, And in those five generations, almost no one ever got arrested. Max Jukes' descendants produced seven murders, 60 thieves, 128 prostitutes, 140 convicted felons, 280 indigents, 440 family members who were alcoholics, 
And of the 1,200 descendants studied, 300 died prematurely, 67 contracted syphilis, and his descendants cost the state of New York, in today's dollars, $70 million. Now here's a thought that I'd like to close with. How you affirm your child's uniquenesses, how you trust your children with appropriate increased responsibility, how you correct and discipline your children in love, how you love your children unconditionally and don't pull away, don't silent treat them, don't punish them when they don't do what they're supposed to do, you discipline them. How you talk to them and model Jesus has a profound legacy that outlives you. You may or may not see your children flourish, but you've got to take the long view. And if you do your part, and you don't have to do all of these like super well, Because what I've discovered about children is, if they know that you're doing your best, even if it it falls short, but if they know that you're sincere, if you have a humble spirit, if you can go back to them and say, Daddy didn't do this right, and I'm really sorry about that. My intent was to do this, but I ended up falling way short of that. Will you please forgive me? An apology to a kid goes a long way. Here's what I also know. You let your kids off the hook when they do something wrong or bad and you keep taking away the consequences of their behavior, if you give your kids all kinds of things, everything that they want, you will also raise entitled children that do not have much gratitude in life. This message is a setup for next week. Next week we're going to have a TED Talk. I told you this last week. Ted Bradford is going to come up. I'm going to interview Ted Bradford. He's, he's worked with children and their parents for 20-some years. He's a professional. Ted comes to our church with his family. He loves Jesus intensely. You know what Ted's going to say to you? Here's the spoiler. Ted's going to say to you one thing, and then the rest of what he says is actually going to be about this one thing. Parents, don't go insecure parent your children. That's it. I just gave it away. Why is it that children seem to be in control of the home? Stop that. You're in control of the home. And if you have loving, kind discipline leading into Jesus, you know, the whole thing, these five gifts, one day you'll be gone but you'll be passing on a legacy that will be beautiful to behold. Would you stand, please? I don't know what you expected on Memorial Day weekend. I don't know whether this is a heavy message to you or whether this gives you hope or what. I I don't know. We're in the middle of a series. I want every person to walk away with this one thought. 
these five gifts to give the children in your life are the five things that God is trying to weave into your life. Just receive them. God's trying to build His character inside of you. And He's trying to make you more like Jesus. And He's the best parent of all. And you can trust Him. So let's bow our heads together. Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, we love you. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thanks for these five gifts. Thanks for working with us. It's not about perfection. It's not even about doing them well as much as we're on the journey. And through your spirit, we're trying. And you're helping us. So today, if there's a parent in this room that's thinking, oh man, I'm not doing very well, would you come up beside them and say, no, no, you and I together, we can turn this around. If there's a child in this room who is not receiving those gifts, let them hear from your spirit, I've got you. I'm giving you these gifts and I'm using different people and different situations. If there's anybody here today who lacks one of these five gifts, Holy Spirit, would you give them the gift that they need the most? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, God bless you. You have a great day today and tomorrow as we celebrate Memorial Day weekend.